The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If your Bibles this morning, I ask you to join me in turning to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we'll be looking at verse 27 through uh, 36 together. Continuing in our series, The Life of Christ, last week we focused on Jesus' baptism and what that meant. I'm thankful God worked in that uh, sermon, just talking about baptism a little bit, and it have some come and say they were needing to be baptized, and so we look forward to doing that very soon. But today we get to Jesus' transfiguration, the transfiguration of, of Christ. And this really is a two-part sermon. You'll have to come back tonight to hear the, the rest of it or listen uh, on, on our website later this week to get the, to get the rest of it. So I'd encourage you to do that if you can't be here um, tonight, but I would love to see you tonight. I want to ask you this question. What is God's glory? I really enjoyed thinking about that this week and, and studying it and contemplating it. But it's something that we, that we talk about a lot. It's something that we hear a lot. You know, the glory of the Lord, the glory, glory, glory. We even sing songs about glory. But what is that? What is, what is God's glory? We're supposed to give him glory. We're supposed to reflect to him glory. I want to propose to us that a definition for God's glory is it is the radiance of his holiness. It's the radiance of his holiness. So God's glory is not something about him. It's not his personality. It's not anything. It's something that it exudes from him because of his holiness. And oftentimes in Scripture, uh, when we come across God's glory, and we're going to do a real brief synopsis of, of that in Scripture this morning, it appears as, as a blinding light. If you remember Isaiah uh, chapter 6, when I, Isaiah would have that encounter with the glory of, of God, it would say that his glory filled the temple. His glory filled the temple. And how Isaiah would fall down because he was in the glory of God and he was seeing the glory of God and it was just too, it was too much for him. And so when we talk about God's glory, that, that's what it is. It's, it's the radiance of his holiness. Okay. God is just so holy. He's so perfect that it comes out in this light. It's really difficult to be, to be seen. And so as we get to Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 27, 28, I'll probably start in verse 28, all the way through 36, what we're going to see is we're going to see God's glory being shown here with Christ to some of the disciples. It says, Now it came to pass, about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed... The appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened, as they were parting from him, 
that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. This really is a fascinating part of Scripture, Jesus' transfiguration. There's so many questions that I would imagine you would have, just like myself. Why did they not tell anybody? What in the world? You just saw something pretty crazy. That's the first thing we're doing in today's age. We would have tried to sneak your phone out and snap some pictures so you could post on Facebook to let everybody know where you were and what was going on. They don't tell anybody. Why did Jesus only take three of them? Why not all of them? Why not, why not show the whole world this? Right? Not, why not let it be known? What's the purpose of this? Why is this here in Scripture? Why did this happen? Well, I wanted to do our best to answer that question, but first we need to go back into the Old Testament. And so we are going to have a lot of different Scripture passages this morning. They should all be on the screen, hopefully. I'll read some of them, just, just summarize some of them as well, because I think we need to go back into the Old Testament before we can really get a grasp of this story to understand the glory of God in the Old Testament. And so you're going to take a little journey with me through the Old Testament. And the first place that I want us to go is into Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. And again, you don't have to turn there because I'm going to go through a bunch of them. It should be on the screen. You can see that. But in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, what we see is that after Israel is freed from Egypt, they go out into the desert and they are wandering, but they are not alone. They are actually led by the Lord day and night. Many times you would say, well, Moses led them. No, it's the Lord that led them. In Exodus 13, 21, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Hopefully some of this seems familiar to what we just read in the Transfiguration, right? All of a sudden a cloud came. They entered into the cloud fearfully, and then God spoke. We see a cloud here, right, leading the way for Israel. You see, the presence of the Lord was with Israel the whole time, and they knew it. And the reason that they knew it is because they could look ahead and they could see it. They could see the glory of the Lord there in the cloud. They could see the glory of the Lord at night through fire. And so they knew that they were safe. They knew that they were okay. They knew they were going exactly the direction that they needed to go because there it was. There was the presence of the Lord. There the glory of the Lord shone before them. So they knew exactly where to go. Some of you may feel jealous. You may think, man, I wish that was my life. I wish that that I would have a cloud that would lead me by day. I wish I would have some fire at night to show me to make sure I was going in the right direction. Well, we'll get there in a moment because we do. Next time that we see the glory of the Lord in the Old Testament is with Moses. Moses would meet with God in the tent of meeting. This is the tent that they had set up and Moses would go in there and it is here as Moses is meeting with the Lord and speaking to the Lord, he would ask God, as we read this morning already, say, God, I want to see your glory. God, show me, show me your glory. And 
God allows this, but he, he doesn't allow it in the way that Moses would expect. He doesn't get to see all of God's glory. Instead, God said, I'm going to pass by you and you'll just be able to see my backside. And in fact, it's so intense that God has to hide him in the cleft of a rock in the mountain and, really, and to cover him, to keep Moses safe because of the extent of God's glory. While on this mountain experiencing this, Moses would again write out the law on tablets And for the next 40 days and 40 nights, he would be up there with the Lord, transcribing the law, getting it all written down, having these new tablets, because if you remember, he'd already broke the old ones when he came off the mountain and saw Israel sinning. And so as we get to the end of that time of the 40 days and the 40 nights, and Moses is going to walk down from the mountain, he's he's going down from the mountain after this experience, and I pick up in Exodus chapter 34, Uh, verse 29. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses's face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So again, God had blessed Israel with this leader, Moses, and Moses had seen the glory of the Lord. He had spoke to the Lord, and so now his face is shining because of the great glory of God. He had been, he had been changed, and the people recognized this, but now every time he would go into the tent of meeting, when he would come out, the people would see Moses has been speaking with the Lord again. And the word that he is going to share with us is a word from the Lord. It's not from a man. It's from, it is from the Lord. And his face was so intense from seeing the glory of the Lord. He would have to, he would have to veil it. He would have to cover his face because it, it freaked everybody out what was happening. So even just the reflection of God's glory off of Moses' face was just too much for Israel to be able to grasp. It was too much for them to be able to hold on to. And so they would have Moses veil his face. Then as we get to Exodus chapter 40, and verses 34 through 38, we see the glory of the Lord in the tabernacle. This is where the presence and the glory of the Lord would reside among Israel in their wanderings. As the, as the cloud would descend over the tabernacle and the Lord is now in the tabernacle, when, when that would get up to go, it was time to leave. It was time to follow the Lord now. And so, They knew that the Lord's presence was amongst them as he was in the tabernacle. And again, they were able to visually see this. They could see that God was with them, that that God was amongst them. He was in the middle of them. That is what their life was about, was following God, was following the Lord as his chosen people. Later, they would enter into the promised land that they they were promised, Moses Moses did not enter into the promised land. They would enter into the promised land. Uh, they would go through judges. They would go all through all the different things. 
They would ask for a king. Eventually, they would get to King Solomon, David's son. David's son would build the temple of the Lord. God would allow him to build the temple. A great, beautiful temple. And so after the temple was built, the Ark of the Covenant, which had the law within it, the Ark of the Covenant would come and they would place it where it needed to go into the Holy of Holies. And I want to read then in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 6 through 11, because this is what would happen. It says, Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the Ark, so that the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the end of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of the stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Again, we see the glory of the Lord now descending on the temple that God allowed Solomon to build. And as the ark was placed in the Holy of Holies, when the priests would finally leave the Holy of Holies, all of a sudden the cloud would come and there is the glory of the Lord in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. The glory of the Lord shone so much that the priests couldn't even go in and minister. They couldn't go in and do their task because the glory of the Lord was there. It was just too much for them, which would actually lead Solomon to say a little bit later in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Solomon would say, behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. You see, Solomon understood it. Now, Solomon might not be someone that we should model our life after if you study him much uh, in scripture. But he realized something at that moment as he saw the glory of the Lord descend on this temple. He would realize there is nothing that is created that can contain your glory, Lord. How, how can the house that I had built, how can you come and reign in here? The heavens can't even contain your glory. Think about that. As Christians, we think about heaven and we think about it as this place of perfection, this place that, that we just can't wait to be a part of. But not even heaven itself can contain the glory of the Lord because it's created. It's a created thing. It can't contain his glory. Solomon understood that and Solomon would declare this. Later, Elijah shows up on the scene as a prophet Elijah would be fleeing for his life from Jezebel and he found himself in a cave and he's in this cave and the Lord would speak to him. God would actually speak to Elijah when he's in this cage and God would tell Elijah, he'd say, I want you to go and I want you to stand out on the mount. I'm going to pass before you. And so I pick up then in first Kings chapter 19, verse 11 it says, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now we could stay in this for a while, but 
All these great things happen. The Lord is not in this. The Lord is not in this. But then a a very still, silent voice. And at the still, silent voice of the Lord, when Elijah recognized that, the only thing that he could think to do was what? Cover his face. So the greatness of even the whisper, even the whisper of the glory of the Lord causes Elijah, the great prophet, to have to cover his face to be able to be there in that moment. Then probably the saddest story we have to go to. It's in Ezekiel chapter 10 all the way through 11, and I don't want to, I'm not going to read all of that by any means. But this is Ezekiel. And Ezekiel has the sad situation of witnessing the glory of the Lord leave the temple. Solomon had the privilege of seeing the glory of the Lord come into the temple, but at this point in Israel's life, there's at, the temple is actually filled with idol worship. They're not worshiping the Lord. They're worshiping these idols that they had made. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel sees in this vision, he sees the glory of the Lord and he sees it rise up above the cherubim that once it encapsulated. And it comes up above the cherubim and slowly, step by step by step, it continues to leave the temple until Ezekiel sees it at the outer gate. And then he sees the glory of the Lord disappear up into a mountain and out of sight, symbolizing that the glory of the Lord had left Israel because of their sin, because of the covenant that they had broke with God. And so after the glory of the Lord leaves the temple, it's not seen again for a very long time. That's what leads us then into the New Testament passage. Because 600 years go by, And the glory of the Lord is not seen on earth. It really is a sad time. But then we get to Luke chapter 2, verse 9. We just got through this with Christmas. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord appears again. And it's actually pretty fascinating because it appears to some shepherds in a field. It doesn't show up in the temple. It doesn't show up to a king. It doesn't show up to some great prophet. It shows up to some shepherds in a field. And you guys, you guys know the story. The angel of the Lord appears to them and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. And it says the shepherds were filled with great fear. Just great fear of what they were seeing, of what they were witnessing. Because remember, 600 years have went by. And the glory of the Lord had not been seen at all. And now in the dark of this field, the glory of the Lord shines. And why? It's because Jesus had come. Because the baby had been born. The promised Messiah was here. God's glory had come through Christ. That's the picture that we have here. It had come, the promise of the one that they've been waiting for, Jesus. It is here. And so again, Jesus would grow. And as Jesus would grow, he's growing in his glory. But we have to understand that his glory was veiled, just like Moses would veil his face. The glory of the Lord was veiled with Jesus simply because nobody could talk to him if his glory shone. Nobody could come and have a conversation with him. He would have literally scared everybody to death all of the time. And so he veils his glory until Luke chapter 9. Verse 28, which we already read. 
when the transfiguration comes, Jesus unveils who he is to these three disciples. And it really is a fascinating story. And so through Jesus, what we see here is we see the glory of God is shown again. In Hebrews chapter one, verse three, speaking of Jesus, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, if you remember our definition of what is God's glory, it is the radiance of his holiness. And then you look at Hebrews chapter one, verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God. There's three things I want to close with this morning in looking at this thought that through Jesus, the glory of God is shown. The first thing is this for us. Jesus is God. Thus, he has glory and should be glorified. As I just read in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. It says, uh, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. He is fully God. Jesus claimed this so often as he would walk and he would talk, as he would forgive sins, they would say, who but God can do this? And he didn't back down from that. He would keep forgiving sins because he is fully God. And so to behold Jesus is actually to behold God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. It is in the face of Jesus Christ that we get to witness and see the glory of God. And that is a great privilege that we have that others haven't had before us in the Old Testament. But we get to see the glory of God fully in Christ. Therefore, he deserves glory and he should be glorified. Actually, in Hebrews chapter one, verse six, it says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, this being God, let all God's angels worship him. Now, if you know much about worship in scripture, the only person that's supposed to receive worship is God. And so you have God the father here declaring to the world that even the angels should worship before my firstborn, Jesus. And so he deserves worship. It's actually pretty interesting. Peter realizes this in our, in, in our story that we looked at. What does Peter do? He, he doesn't know what to do. If you think about it, all of a sudden he it says he's very tired, he's sleepy, he wakes up, and man, Jesus' face is altered. There's uh, Moses and Elijah, and glory is being shown all of a sudden. And what is his response? His only response is very simple. We need to be worshiping right now. Let us, let us build some tabernacles here. Let us build what we need to build, some altars here, and let us worship. And this is really the correct response that needed to happen. Jesus deserves worship. He deserves praise because he is God. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 through 11, we actually get a little taste of this. I really like Revelation chapter 4. It really is something good to study. But we get a picture 
what it's like to be in God's presence. Some of this is confusing and that's okay, but just listen with me because I think this is kind of what the disciples experienced at this moment. It says in the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. I want to stop there for a second. I'm really critical of most music. I don't know if you know that about me, but I am. And I really listen to music. I really listen to the words. And when a song starts to repeat, I turn it off. I'm like, I got it. I got it the first time, right? And we repeat, and you guys know how that goes, and get, gets old after a while. This is the only passage that keeps me sane when that happens. Because in heaven, there are angels that constantly just proclaim over and over and over again. And listen, for us, it might get so annoying, but the truth does not stop. You've got to hear it. They constantly say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it never gets old. It gets old to us. But it's the truth. Continue going in that. It says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. This is what Peter, James and John are experiencing at this moment. So often we look at Peter quite critical. Peter, just shut up. You talk and you shouldn't talk. Peter, just shut up. But if Peter just witnessed this, he just witnesses the glory of the Lord, all he can think to do is, we should be worshiping right now. That's what has to happen. I know I'm tired. I know I'm a little dazed. But I know what I'm seeing. And I'm seeing the glory of the Lord and he deserves worship. He deserves praise. Also, we see... Jesus is God's son. Thus, he deserves God's glory. Thus, he is God's glory. I'm sorry. Because he is God's son, he actually is God's glory. The Bible tells us that he is the word made flesh, that he come and he dwelt among us. And so as we grow in our relationship with God, as we're saved by his grace and we, and we know the Lord and we, we know his word and we study his word, what we see is we see God's glory because we see God's truth. This is why I brought up saying how we could be a little jealous of Israel before. They had the cloud that went before them. They had the fire that went before them. Therefore, they always knew they were going the direction that God wanted them to go. We can look at that and get a little jealous. But it's amazing to think that God would send his son and that he would send his son in a way that he would tell us he is the word made flesh. And today, many of you right now sitting on your laps is the word of God. You have the pillar of fire. You have the cloud. It is before you. Problem is we just don't look at it. We too often don't look at it. We, we don't try to determine our directions based off of it. Instead, we determine our directions and then we go to it and say, well, now what? Well, well it's too late. 
You need to let it guide you. You need to let it direct you. And so Jesus being God's son lets us see his glory, his word. We get to see his glory in his word. And in the transfiguration, this is being shown here to the disciples. They witness at this very moment that Jesus is God's glory. Jesus is God's son. That Jesus is the way and the truth. You see, at Jesus' baptism, it was a little different. If you go back to and read all of the different accounts of Jesus' baptism, you're not going to catch in there anywhere where it shows that everybody heard the Father speak. I found that to be really fascinating. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't necessarily say they didn't hear him speak, but it doesn't come out and say, and everybody stood wondering what they just heard. It doesn't say that. And so there's, there's this uh, assumption here that as we get to the transfiguration, this is the first time Peter, James, and John, they hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my son, which at the baptism, what did he say? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, right? He doesn't say that this time. He says, this is my beloved son. What does it say? Hear him. Hear him. Obey him. Follow him. Trust him. What he says is what I say. It is true. Follow him. This is my glory being shown to you. It is Christ. It is his word. It is the truth. And lastly, Jesus is the savior and he shows God's glory by saving sinners. When we look at Jesus, you can't help but picture him as the sacrificial lamb that takes our place. See, this year in our program, we were going over the Easter program this week, uh, me, Randy, and Pastor Matt. The last scene is supposed to be the scroll that's got seven seals on it. And Randy's like, how can we, uh, how can we replicate this? I said, you, well, we can't, so just let's not, okay? We're going to take artistic license here and be very simple. And so we're going to do that. But one of his questions I remember as we were, as we were studying that, as he said, would Jesus be wearing his robe? Would he be all golden and everything? Well, if you read that passage of the seven seals being broken, it actually says at that moment, Jesus looks as a lamb that was slain. At that moment, he looks as a lamb that was slain. That's not golden robes. That's not pure white. That's bloodied, that's bruised, that's beaten. Now, why does he look like that? Because that's what was needed to break the seals was that sacrifice. Was redemption to be made available? Was forgiveness to be made available? And so Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that takes our place, who bears our sin on the cross so that we don't have to face that cross. He went and conquered death, hell, and the grave. Why? So that we don't have to experience that. So that we can be saved from that. And what God does in saving sinners like me, or if you've been saved in saving sinners like you, is he really shows off his glory. He really shows off his glory. Because he does not save man because of their merit. He doesn't save man because of their skin color 
or because of their gender, because of their age, because of how smart they are. He saves people because of his love. And so his glory is shown. And so as Christians, we have the beautiful privilege of actually being transformed by the glory of God. And this is what we're going to talk about more tonight. And I would encourage you to be here. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says that we are to be, to be transformed. Did you know that's the exact same word that is used in the transfiguration with Jesus? It's the exact same thing. And so the same power that would transform Christ for God's glory to shine through him for the disciples to see is the exact same power that gets in our life as we are saved by God's grace to transform you to be made into the likeness of Christ. And so day by day as believers, we have the privilege of having the glory of the Lord on us, changing us, molding us, and making us into his image. And so as you go around this week, as you live in your homes, you have to realize if you're a Christian this morning, this is for Christians, you bear his glory. That's good news. Now, being legalistic like many of us are, because we all are and we struggle with that, it scares us a little bit to think, oh my gosh, I bear God's glory and I did this this week. I don't think that's a wrong thing to think. That's good that we, we should feel some guilt probably for the things that we do. But the fact that we bear the glory of God is an amazing thing. It's on us. Not because we deserved it, but because he loved us. And so we have the privilege to let the world know of what he has done. That Christ has come. That the glory of the Lord has been revealed. Yes, it left the temple but it came back in Christ and he lives and he reigns still today and the glory of the Lord shines. And how does it shine? It shines through his word. It shines through his people serving him and honoring him and giving their life to him. It should shine through the church so that all can be, all can see and all can know that is the glory of the Lord. How I pray that you've had that bestowed on you. How I pray that you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins to bear God's wrath in your place. If you haven't, I trust that you will. But Christian, brother and sister, it's good news that we bear God's glory. It's a privilege that we simply do not deserve. As we sing these songs about the glory of the Lord, let us sing them with high praise, with high satisfaction knowing that he, for some reason, would bestow upon us his glory that would fill the temple, his glory that would knock down prophets as if dead. He would allow us to live in that glory. Let's bow together. Let's pray. God, what an awesome privilege you've given us as Christians not because we deserved it, but because you're just a good father. God, I thank you for your holiness. God, I think that's something we have a real struggle grasping. I know I do. But God, your perfection and out of that, just the radiance of glory. 
that shines. And so, God, we look forward to the day when we get to spend eternity with you. But God, I also understand that you've given us a taste of that each and every day and giving us your glory, helping us to be transformed, helping us to be changed. God, we see your glory in Christ, our Savior, your Son, fully God, fully man. God, help us to look to Christ each and every day, just as Israel would look to the, the, the cloud and the pillar of fire. God, help us to look to your word and to trust it to obey the command that you gave the disciples there in Luke chapter nine. This is my son, hear him. God, help us to follow that boldly, courageously, with excitement, knowing that you love us, knowing that you care for us. And God, I pray that we'd be witnesses where we live, witnesses where we work, witnesses wherever we may go for your glory, for your honor and for your praise, not ours, but for yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.